to, to a faculty member who is interested, I would start with uh, inquiring as to uh, why, what are the goals, what are the outcomes that you want to have. And then we work our way through as to uh, what do these learning goals have in common with the larger program goals of the curriculum that you have. And uh, what are well, what might be some of the prior experiences, learning experiences, that the students coming into this learning space may or may not have, and uh, which places in the world and perspectives in the world would make sense from a uh, responsible educator perspective to introduce the students and engage the students with. Welcome to Student Affairs Now, the online learning community for student affairs educators. I am your host, Heather Shea. Today, we are exploring the topic of virtual education abroad programs and the inno innovations that increase access. I developed a virtual version of the study abroad program that I lead in 2021, and I'm excited to be joined by two individuals who have experience leading similar programs. Before I introduce my guest today, I'm going to share a bit about our podcast and announce today's sponsors. Student Affairs Now is the premier podcast and learning community for thousands of us who work in, alongside, or adjacent to the field of higher education and student affairs. We hope you'll find these conversations make a contribution to the field and are restorative to the profession. We release new episodes every week on Wednesdays. Find us at studentaffairsnow.com on YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Today's episode is sponsored by Vector Solutions and Stylus Publishing. Stay tuned to the end of the podcast for more information about each of these sponsors. As I mentioned, I'm your host, Heather Shea. My pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I am broadcasting from uh, Okemos, Michigan, near the campus of Michigan State University, where I serve as the Director of Women's Student Services and Interim Director of the Gender and Sexuality Campus Center. Since 2017, I have traveled each year and served as the Program Director of the Learning, Culture, and Technology in Europe program, except for in 2020 when it was canceled and in 2021 when we were virtual. Um, for those of you who are um, aware or from Michigan, Michigan State University occupies the ancestral, traditional, and contemporary lands of the Anishinaabe, Three Fires Confederacy of Ojibwe, Ottawa, and Potawatomi peoples. The university res resides on land ceded in the 1819 Treaty of Saginaw. I am so excited to introduce my colleagues and, and friends today to join me in this conversation. Um, I have worked with Gabby Walla for a couple of years now when Gabby was a uh, graduate student in Michigan State University Student Affairs Master's Program. Uh, she co-led the canceled program and also the virtual program with me. So unfortunately never got to travel abroad, uh, but uh, excited that you're here. Thank you so much for being here, Gabby. Thank you, Heather. Um, and Alex, thank you so much as well. Uh, Alex and I had the pleasure of uh, sitting on a panel together for International Education Week uh, back in November. And when I was thinking about this topic, I was like, I'm not, I want to have a further conversation um, with you. So, uh, and our paths also crossed at one point at Michigan State, although we didn't know it at the time. Um, so welcome, Alex. It's, it's nice to have you here. Pleasure to be with you. Thank you. So why don't you each begin, uh, give a brief introduction about who you are and what your current roles are on your respective um, campuses or locations, and then uh, a bit about your connection to education abroad virtual programs. Um, and Alex, I'll start with you. Great, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with all of you here today. Uh, greetings from the sunny Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, I am an alumni of Michigan State University, the doctoral program in higher adult and lifelong education, and uh, have worked in the field of international education for almost two decades, hard to believe, um, at both public and private universities, liberal arts and, and uh, uh, more traditional type of campuses. My current role is uh, president of the Fulbright Association in South Carolina and uh, president and founder of Local Classrooms which brings us together today to talk about virtual customized international learning experiences. Great. I look forward to our conversation. Thank you so much, Alex. It's great to have you here. Um, Gabby, introduce yourself to our, to our viewers. Sure. Um, so my name is Gabby Walla. My pronouns are she, her, hers. Um, I am 
right now in Lansing. It is very snowy. Um, I am just outside of MSU. I have been affiliated with MSU for quite a bit of time. I went here for undergrad. Um, I graduated in 2017 with my residential College of Arts and Humanities bachelor's degree. Um, I was a college advisor and then I, for two years I was a college advisor, and then I went on to get my master's in student affairs administration at MSU. Um, I was also the graduate assistant for women's student services at that time working under Heather. Um, and then I also had the opportunity of co-leading the uh, learning culture and technology in Europe um, student or study abroad program with Heather, um, which I might be the curse <laughs> um, of not being able to go. Um, the first year, my first year at co-leading was the year that it was canceled um, in 2020. And then our second year was the year that we developed the virtual online program, which was very fun. I'm very excited to talk about that today. Um, now that I've graduated, I am now the Assistant Director of Women's Student Services, and I'm very excited to be in that position working with Heather yet again. So thanks for having me, Heather. Yeah, it's great to have both of you here. And I um, specifically invited Gabby because of your, uh, your student affairs background, but also because we got to work closely together so that I could kind of be the person asking the questions, not the one who's also saying, and also in. Um, so it's great. It's great to have both of you here today. Um, so Alex, I know we're focusing primarily on virtual programs today, but I'd love to zoom out a little bit and talk more broadly about the field of international education and education abroad. Can you give us a, just a snapshot of, you know, what supports this as, um, as a program on a college or university campus? Like what literature are um, our programs grounded in? Um, and then also, you know, in terms of their, their work on our college campuses, you know, they require resources, right? So we can talk a little bit about further how you how you get resources to create virtual programs, but I'd love to hear, how do we justify that? What literature supports um, this work? So I'll turn it to you. That's a great question. And I'll also uh, mention that I started my career in student affairs, specifically in career and education advising. That was my first full-time job out of my master's program. So I love I have, it. Uh, I didn't know that. That's great. Yes. So I have uh, grown through the experiences of uh, working with students, uh, navigating their career and educational goals. And it was then that I began uh, being acquainted with the study abroad field. And study abroad is has a long history. I mean, some say that it goes back to the Aristotle days, where Aristotle was... Um, both teaching and, and learning uh, through mobility. But these programs became more formalized in the, I would say in the uh, early 1900s when, especially coming after the World War I is when countries began to realize that we can establish better understanding of each other by engaging uh, in learning with and from each other. And it was not until like the 19, and I don't mean to take us on a history path here, the, the, the 1919 or 1920, when uh, the first education abroad program started to become formalized. So the programs and the impetus for why universities invest so much in these programs is because of how they are uh, suited and situated to help prepare the next generation of leaders and practitioners and community engaged citizens with the competencies and the frame of thinking that is constructive and productive for especially the current interdependent and interconnected societies in which we live. Um, and the resources are plentiful. The challenges are, are, are immense, of course, but the opportunities and the outcomes far outweigh those challenges and concerns. So we can talk about the resources in a variety of ways, um, and many of which have become much more formalized and scaled accessible investment type of opportunities in the current, in the current environment leading up to COVID-19 and even more mm -hmm. so now with, with virtual programming becoming uh, much more uh, acceptable uh, and much more feasible way of learning not only in traditional education, but also in international education abroad programming as well. 
Yeah, I think it's um it's a fascinating field. I did not know all of that back history, so I appreciate you sharing that um, as as a somewhat of a history buff in higher ed. You're like, when when did these things become uh, popularized and and more frequently? Um, discussed. And I know, uh, you know, from our student affairs literature that we talk a lot about high impact practices and George Koo um, states that, you know, education being one of them, uh, you know, really requires considerable time and effort, facilitates learning, um, engages students in dialogue and conversation interactions with faculty. Um, and Koo also notes that um, HIPs or high impact practices um, can be life-changing, right? So participation in a study abroad program can be life-changing. Um, and yet, and this maybe brings us to the point of why virtual is important. Um, the students who can afford to go on a study abroad program during college is limited, right? They're, they, they can be extremely expensive um, and they definitely do take resources. Uh, what do we know about the, the students who are participating in uh, programs and then talk a little bit about that access piece and how virtual programs can um, increase access. I'll, I'll keep it with you, Alex, and then Gabby, if you have anything else you want to add. That's a great question. And when we look at the historical uh, data and having been an administrator and, and faculty member of student affairs professional at three universities uh, prior, uh, I can almost describe to a detail, you know, who the students have been who have gone on programs abroad. And historically, it has been the privileged, those with the means and, and access, and the ones with less access to resources have gone into great amount of debt, mm -hmm. borrowing student loans and such to go on a program abroad, understanding and appreciating the value that these programs uh, can bring to a student's formation and uh, uh, broadening of the horizon and developing those skills and having those learning experiences. So uh, just prior to COVID-19 pandemic, less than 2% of college students were studying abroad. Man, that was our best year uh, historically, right? I mean, 1819 was, was one of the better years in terms of the number of American students who went abroad. So when we look at that data, and all of this data is available through uh, IIE Open Doors report, what we see is that majority of the students who went abroad were white female students. And most of them, 56% or, or so, um, went to Europe. Uh, and a small percentage uh, came out of the, um, the humanities. Majority of the students who do go abroad come from business disciplines for a variety of uh, what you would assume to be uh, intuitive reasons, right? If, you want, if you're going to be in international business, you want to know something about international experiences mm -hmm. and so on. So when we look at you know who has participated abroad uh, from a you know diversity equity inclusion, uh, we have significant significant progress to make mm -hmm. in that space. And uh, uh, if there is if there is a an exciting promise in which there is that virtual can allow us is it can increase the access point and participation uh, by making international learning experiences available to all students, not just only to those who either have a lot of resources or are uh, taking on additional debt mm. to do that. Um, and that's not to say that virtual is going to replace the in-person uh, learning abroad experiences. If anything, it's going to increase that because by way of helping students to visualize being exposed to, introduced to, uh, places around the world that they would have never uh, considered going to. Uh, more, more of them will want to have that in-person experience as well when they can, uh, when they're ready to, or when they have um, both the, the resources as well as the time. Uh, cost opportunity is a real thing when we take students abroad for three weeks or a month or a semester, whichever the case may be. So I'm excited for virtual uh, promise. Yeah, yeah. Um, Gabby, I think uh, Alice kind of just described our cohort of our program, right? Uh, not only were we going to Europe, but um, many, mostly all uh, white women. Uh, and so I don't know as much about their socioeconomic background, but I do think that that's one of the barriers that I think when we were able to open it up virtually, it felt really positive. Um, so uh, other thoughts on that before we get into talking about our programs in general? 
Well, I would also say that it definitely increases access. I, I would agree that it increases access for those who couldn't necessarily afford to go in person, um, specifically like with some of the tasks, tasks that we had that were going to be more of an elective task if we were to go. Um, we'll talk about this later, obviously, too, but like we went to a lot of virtual museum visits during our virtual program that would have been things that you could opt to do but could cost like $50, whereas okay. it was free when the whole group went virtually and we were able to look at those things like in on our computers. So mm -hmm. it definitely increased a lot of monetary access. And then I would also say that it also um, gained physical access too. So um, things like the Anne Frank house that are very hard to navigate, like moving around in those spaces, if someone were to be limited mobil with mobility, um, that would be something that would be really difficult for them to see. And then kind of lose out on, on that experience. So it was really cool. Our program got to do a um, virtual visit in the Anne Frank house. So that would be something that would be definitely increasing access for lots of different students. So. Great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, access in all kinds of ways. I think that's kind of the, the story. So let's talk a little bit about the specific experiences that um, we've, we've all engaged in. Um, Gabby, give us an overview of uh, the way that we adapted our program. Um, and you, you've alluded a little bit to some of the virtual experiences that students were able to have, but you could talk a little bit about that, um, how we transitioned an in-person experience to a virtual space. And then Alex, I'd love to hear more about the programs that you've had and about your organization um, too. So Gabby. Um, so our program typically um, spans over several different countries in Europe where we talk about um, teaching and technology, um, typically because we have a lot of teacher education students who are in the program. So um, it was obviously very disappointing that we didn't <laughs> be able, we weren't able to go abroad and to have those experiences that several students had been able to share that they loved so much, including Heather as well. Um, but we did have some really cool things that we ended up developing. So we had sort of like each week that we had our virtual program was a different place that we would have been during that time. So we did a deep dive on where we would have gone on those places. So we did a lot of different historical virtual walks um, where we literally were on Google Maps and <laughs> walking around on the streets, um, which is very much mimicking what we could have done in person. But I would say that it also gave us more freedom because we wouldn't have to figure out how to run across the city in an hour to go look at a different point. Um, another thing that we did was we had a list of um, different things students could work on throughout the week um, to, and then have a reflection journal about. And then in those reflection journal posts, students were able to learn about the different um, sites that they weren't able to see as a group. And that way, um, everyone got to learn about all the different things. So it was definitely helpful. So everyone got to do as much as they could. Um, we also had a very unique experience where we worked on a group um, project of sorts with students from different schools in Europe. So um, we were able to partner with two different schools. Um, Heather, I am blanking on some of the names of the schools, but I know we had Hasselt PXL. Uh -huh. and then yep. Fontes University, Fontes, which is thank in you. Netherlands. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, so we were able to partner with those two schools and all of the students got together on several virtual days and were broken up into small groups and got to share their different experiences. So some of them had the commonality of being future teachers. So that was very unique for them to talk about how um, teacher education was different in different um, areas. So I thought that those were very unique experiences that I don't think we would have been able to do in person per se. I don't think we would have had time to do a lot of those things. So um, as disappointed as some of the students were that they didn't get to do things like try the food <laughs> in some of the places or, um, go out to the different fun, um, like there was a pizza cruise. <laughs> um, but um, as, as disappointed those students were, I think that they left with a lot of different knowledge that they wouldn't have gotten had we gone in person. Yeah, that's great. Great recap. Um, yeah, and, and I think our partnerships abroad really facilitated um, the opportunities, right? I mean, it's hard to do a traveling study abroad, but it, it's even more difficult, it can be more difficult when you're trying to exchange technology and figure out how to build those relationships. So um, Alex, tell us a little bit about your, your organization, the types of uh, experiences uh, you've led. Thank you. And Gabby, those are great examples of how virtual can be liberating 
uh, and and increasing student participation in in, in experiences that otherwise would uh, be difficult to pull together. Well, local classrooms is a consulting and service providing company that I established a little over a year ago, a year and a half ago or so, pivoting right after COVID started. That is what um, uh, gave a strong impetus for uh, virtual international learning, which in the past, COIL, for example, for, has been around for almost two decades and uh, uh, made some uh, gains in, in, in encouraging student and faculty, especially participation in international virtual learning. But uh, uh, with virtual modality now being both a thing and acceptable way of learning in a, in a much larger scale, it has allowed us to um, be of service to the universities and to the faculty members, to uh, program developers, whether they are student affairs programs or honors colleges or department uh, specific thematic lecture series or whichever the case may be. It allow us to efficiently and effectively bring perspectives from around the world to the students local classroom, hence local, local. Um, and <laughs> okay. guide them and engage them in an intentional way of learning. Uh, the advantage here is in the intentional design of the programs. So Global Classrooms is a fully customizable approach to virtual learning. So I work directly with faculty members, staff, uh, administrators to design and develop, curate, uh, and uh, source uh, contributors and content from any, from around the world and allow us to do that in a session just like this. Okay. I'm in South Carolina, you are in East Lansing, Michigan, and we're able to have this conversation. We could very well have brought in colleagues here from Rome or uh, Buenos Aires or from mm -hmm. Bangkok or anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, so that is uh, what we do. And uh, the exciting part is that uh, this is available as a cultural enrichment, as a program development, a professional development kind of uh, mode of learning and engagement. And it allows us to uh, come to the learning experience undistracted. One of the, uh, in the years that I've uh, sent students abroad and, and led students abroad, uh, one of the observations is that, uh, you know, we can be quite distracted uh, when we are in person uh, in, in those exciting places abroad. While in the virtual, uh, space, we will miss those selfies and we'll miss those uh, flavorful treats that uh, come with being present in whichever place in the world. Um, but from a intentional, le intentional learning experience, uh, virtual allows us to bring in our level of focus and curiosity and desire for learning in a way that, uh, that we can be effective and productive. Um, and, and also cost-effective. So our programs are fully customizable. We start with an idea, with an interest, with a question, and then we develop the full program uh, that can be scalable and sustainable uh, according to what fits the needs of the uh, unit or the college or, or the institution overall. In a nutshell. Yeah, what I what I like about your approach, I mean, I feel like we um, we reacted, right? Um, right, when we were forced to go to cancel one year and then forced to go virtual the, the next year um, and kind of retrofit, right? We took what we were trying to do in person and tried to make it work virtually. Um, but it sounds like what um, Global Classrooms does is really work more intentionally with it. Like what are the outcomes that you're hoping for and then design that program from there with, with the intent from the beginning that it's going to be a virtual experience or an enhancement of, a, of another experience, so. Right. What we do is we, we bring in our inst instructional design and program development capacity that we have. Uh, and uh, we work with the staff faculty member to develop the program through a backward mapping design, which is pretty common in instructional design uh, consulting work. And uh, so we start with the intended outcomes and we work our way back to see, well, what kind of learning experiences will um, get us to those learning outcomes that you have in mind? And how is it that we need to both structure and develop the program and how it is that we need to engage the learners 
in this learning experience to get us to those to those outcomes. Uh, so in, in our model, uh, there is no room for a serendipity ped pedagogy, right? Which mm -hmm. sometimes happens in those in-person travel abroad <laughs> where, you know, those in-person travel programs have tremendous potential to, to facilitate transformative learning because they um, allow us to, uh, to, to, to simulate the, the cognitive dissonance that uh, can be difficult to do in, uh, in a virtual experience uh, because you know, we're not necessarily catapulting a person out of their everyday familiar environment to a new environment where they are now uh, forced to figure out how it is mm -hmm. that they need to uh, navigate, learn, and, and succeed in this new environment. Although in short-term faculty programs, we do see quite a bit of island uh, programming happening where students and, and the faculty program leaders are together pretty much all the time, mm -hmm. most of the time. Mm -hmm. So the virtual program allows us to be uh, quite intentional by design and actually, and actually see through uh, the entire program in a way that uh, the in-person travel may or may not necessarily carry all of that out the way that we want it. Well, and you have unknowns, right? Um, sometimes and you miss a train or there's a weather delay or, or you know, whatever, whatever the incident is, I think yeah. it can create um, those distractions on, on, a, on a somewhat positive end, but sometimes a complete like abandonment of the learning outcome. Um, that the faculty member is trying to get it convey in that particular experience. Um, and that those are always interesting things when they, they have their own learning outcomes, right? Like, oh, we just missed a train. Now what are we going to do? And how are we going to figure out what our next um, move is going to be? But the, you know, you um, that may not be the intended outcome for that particular program that day. Right. And, and the virtual programs are not necessarily uh, going to uh, quite subsidize, I want to use the word subsidize, mm -hmm. um, the in-person experience of, let's say you are abroad for a semester. We're not talking about that because being and navigating, learning how to immerse and create community during a semester or year-long program is a whole different uh, way of learning. Uh, what, I, what I'm referring to are uh, largely focused on the short-term faculty-led programs because that is also what uh, you know where the majority of the American mm -hmm. students do participate mm -hmm. in programs abroad. The vast majority of those students go on those short-term programs, um, where these kinds of learning experiences that I described earlier uh, do uh, uh, you know appear. So mm -hmm. the virtual, especially for those. Uh, short-term programs can be quite, uh, qu quite a vehicle for how to get us to learning outcomes that we intend. Mm -hmm. But yeah, also on the, on the semester programs, you can integrate right. uh, thematic programs throughout the semester. So, but it's not going to be quite like being abroad for 24 hours every day for six months or however long. Right, right, right. Um, I think one of the things that we often talk about associated with education abroad is this idea that you'll gain some level of, of global competency or intercultural competency um, on a short-term faculty-led program that may be really limited, um, considering that students don't often step outside of that bubble, right? They're with the people that they're traveling with 90% of the time or 99% of the time. Um, and it's just simply not long enough, right, uh, potentially. Um, and yet, I think global competency still has meaning, and it's often directly tied to these types of programs. Um, Gabby, talk a little bit about what you, how you define global competency, um, and how you saw it displayed um, or demonstrated in our virtual program. Sure. So, um, I think that global competency kind of is this thing that people talk about, like achieving it. But I don't think that global competency necessarily means like, check, <laughs> I did it. I have competency on a global level. Um, and I don't think that's what it means. I think that it's something that you constantly have to be 
seeking learning to do. Um, so to me, global competency kind of means um, the ability to like be open to different experiences throughout the world and being willing to learn about different experiences and different cultures. Um, so I would say that a, a study abroad for a student who has not done quite a bit of traveling or in our case with a lot of the students on our study abroad program had never left the state of Michigan. Um, I would say that a study abroad is definitely a jumping point to start a global competency process. Um, and a virtual study abroad is, I think, a pretty unique way to start that in a student's life. And I wouldn't say that it always starts at the beginning of a study abroad experience. I think it starts um, when you're learning about other cultures as a kid in, in school or when you're looking up all the different programs for study abroad and learning about the places that you might go. Um, so I think that um, the ways that we saw competency being developed and demonstrated in our virtual study abroad kind of had to do with how students were growing and learning in those spaces. So um, some very obvious <laughs> examples of when they were um, sort of growing in their competency were when they were interacting with students abroad. So um, we had a scenario where we had students sit in in a virtual classroom with <laughs> some students. So um, we had an, a group of, we had a couple future elementary teachers um, sit in an elementary classroom. Um, I believe they were in Belgium, the, the classroom that they sat in. So um, sitting in on that classroom in person obviously is going to feel much different than sitting in it virtually and learning about the students over a computer. But um, when they came back from that conversation and told the whole group about it, you could tell that they grew in lots of different ways as future teachers, but then also learning about other cultures and being able to talk about those cultures. So um, I would say you are constantly growing in your global competency as long as you are open to <laughs> growing in that. I would say that sometimes people might not be open to growing in that, so they aren't necessarily globally competent, but um, I would say that you aren't you aren't just one experience check I'm competent now forever globally um, but then you never revisit what you learned or seek to grow within that learning so um, and so I guess for your next question can I can someone gain global competency through a virtual experience I would say yes if they are open to learning about a different culture great Alex, what about, what about you? How would you define and what kinds of experiences happen in virtual spaces that lend um, us towards developing our competency in, in that glo global area? That's a great question. Um, well, I think of global competency as a lifestyle, really. I, mm. I mean, academics have defined global competency in a variety of ways. And the most widely adopted definition is, you know, the framework that uh, addresses the knowledge, skills, attitude, and values uh, that demonstrate one's ability to live harmoniously in an increasingly multicultural environment and demonstrate curiosity about other cultures and other people's way of thinking and so on and so forth. But as, as Gabby was saying, it is not a one uh, experience and then you check off the box, but it's a lifestyle. And it's a, that, that continues for one's lifetime. Uh, once you've made a commitment that you're going to um, be an engaged citizen that demonstrates those competencies. Um, so in the virtual space, the virtual international learning allows us to facilitate that type of learning every day. For example, let's hypothetically say that you're teaching a course for this spring semester and you have intentionally designed it in such a way that you wanted to facilitate uh, global competencies, you know, progression uh, through mm -hmm. the various uh, levels and the various components uh, and constructs of global competency. And then you integrate into your, whichever course you're teaching, you can integrate global perspectives on that. So let's say that you're teaching a course on women's issues, for example, you can bring in global perspectives from around the world and in introduce the students and connect them to conversations and perspectives from various places around the world in an efficient and intentional way. And you assess that through the designing of the assignments that you develop. So it's not only the conversations the students are having, but why are they having those conversations? What are the takeaway lessons and, and uh, uh, conclusions that they make? 
how informed are those conclusions from diverse perspectives. So all of this comes together quite conveniently through the virtual modality because we could be bringing into a, a 90 minute class session or, or uh, whichever format you have perspectives from a variety of places around the world with, with uh, activists and leaders and community members mm. uh, who are engaged at their local community. But we are making the connections across the world, hence global, uh, in an intentional way because we are thinking about, well, how does that issue or topic or, or initiative um, look like in my local environment? Uh, and what do I need to be thinking about? How this refers to sustainability and, and, uh, uh, and scalability of, let's say you have a product that you want to launch. What are the implications of that? What are the opportunities for that? So whatever the topics and the conversations may be, the virtual uh, modality allows us to uh, be present and intentionally engage in diverse perspectives in real time, in real space. Not something that we can do for two weeks in next July, but we can do it here and now and continuously, sustainably and scalably throughout the entire year. So the opportunity, that, that is what is exciting about the, the virtual modality, which uh, we now have uh, accepted as a, as emergently as, as, as a preferred way of learning. I mean, look what is happening in the changing nature of work with yeah. remote work telework. I mean, uh, younger generation and, and not so younger generation are choosing to work from places that they have always wanted to work, but now uh, remote work is allowing them to do that. Um, so think about global teams, you know, where whichever industry you're in, you are collaborating in real time and asynchronously with colleagues from anywhere in the world. Uh, so the changing world of the changing nature of work, as well as sourcing of global talent around the world with the changing nature of work is uh, shifting the way that we think about how we learn and how we live and how we work. Uh, and virtual allows us to engage intentionally in that pursuit of how we prepare and educate the next generation of professionals and leaders and citizens. Yeah, I, I feel like what you're really making the case for is that beyond just a response to the pandemic um, and our like kind of being forced to find other ways of doing things, like these are actual long, longer lasting solutions to some of the, the bigger issues, right? Whether it's cost of travel or whether it's, um, you know, the ability to get the right group of people in the right room at the same time, like we can we can do a lot of things now because we have the technology. I mean, we're not at the like conference call level of engaging with people across across time zones. Now we're at a and a much richer inner um, interactive even uh, space. And so I I actually feel um, you know beyond increasing access and obviously safer during a global pandemic. Um, there's lots of reasons why we should continue to explore this as a as a primary way of um, enhancing global competency uh, and whether it's within a classroom space or or beyond right and you're talking about work I think it made me think about all the different ways in which this could be applied um, as well so I don't know anything anything else you want to add about like making the case uh, not just a reaction or a, a, a solution to a problem it's actually maybe a whole brand new modality this is a whole new brand, uh, brand uh, of you know, way of learning. And this is going to be sustainably uh, adopted across, ac across the world. Uh, and that is not to say that this is going to replace um, you know, the, the in-person travel, but this is going to allow us to be intentional in how we prepare uh, today's students to be uh, uh, not, not to be cliche, but how to, to be co competent in their life and their work life and private life. Um, because if that is the purpose of education to prepare competent citizens in this, in this, in this uh, way, then how do we do that when we know that 
the future of work and the future of learning is going to be increasingly interconnected and interdependent, much more so than we, what we have seen in the past. Um, so virtual learning abroad is a, a way of the future, is a sustainable, scalable, uh, environmentally uh, responsible way of mm -hmm. learning. Um, what, however much one can say that a student can learn in a 10-day, two-week intensive faculty-led uh, program abroad, when you also think about it from an environmental carbon footprint perspective mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. consumerism perspective, of course it has dividends for the uh, host communities who rely on tourism and so on. I'm not uh, undermining, I mean, under underestimating uh, that impact, but also mm -hmm. if we are environmentally conscious, what, what uh, promise does virtual have to help us make a positive impact in that, in that direction as well. So virtual international learning is a long-term strategy. It is not, we started with uh, the reactionary uh, approach because that is what uh, uh, was plausible at the time. But those who have been working it behind the scenes for a longer time, COVID basically just created the environment for this to become a much more adaptable uh, and, and acceptable way of learning. I love it. So Gabby, I know you did a project while you were in your master's program um, to talk with our education abroad office. Um, and, and maybe this can be linked into our next question. Um, if you were a faculty member about to start a new program, um, thinking about your project, you know, what would you say are the key components to an effective virtual experience? Sure. So, um, my uh, my project that I did with the Education Abroad Office at MSU was an office consultation project. Um, and so in that project, they were seeking on how to ensure that students were um, becoming resilient um, and growing from their experience while abroad. So while the specifics about how they're going abroad is kind of irrelevant in this conversation. I would say that something that we really did a lot of research on and took away from that whole conversation was how students are being prepared to have conversations about global competency overall and, and their experiences, but then also giving them a space to reflect internally and externally. So um, if a faculty member who wanted to start a virtual program came up to me and asked me what I thought that they should definitely incorporate, I would say um, different kinds of reflection experiences, because I think people reflect in different ways, um, but is definitely essential for a student to reflect in order to grow from their experiences. So um, someone who's more of an internal processor might seek to reflect with like a journal or um, sort of like a meditation space. Um, an external thinker might want to have like a conversation and speak with other individuals who had an experience and share their experiences and debrief through that. Um, I am a talker, so I like to work through things that I'm going through out loud um, and with other people. So something that I um, hoped to integrate into our virtual program was both of those experiences. So we had um, a series of journals that students completed and we gave them several different avenues of how they could um, complete those journals, which I always think is a great way to um, help students figure out what's best for them. So while a journal obviously, yes, is a great way to gauge a student's learning, especially if you're giving them a grade at the end of the day, um, I also think that a journal shouldn't just be for that. It should be a good space for them and what works for them. So um, we had a lot of students who shared photographs and like did comments on photographs. We had students who did drawings and sort of debrief through drawing. Um, we had a student who um, solely recorded voice memos, which is totally what I would do in that space. Um, <laughs> but it was just it was just so unique to see how different people process things. Um, but then also alongside all those different things, we had a space in class where we were reflecting on what we were doing. So. Um, if we were to go out into a, a, a physical program where we were gonna go to a school and work with students, I would then have everybody sort of like huddle up or come in at the end of the experience and sort of talk about what we talk, what we saw, um, what we kind of like gained from that experience and sort of like how that shifts views. So sort of providing different sort of experiences are pretty, 
I would say they're essential to most students. Um, whether some students gained as much from other experiences as other students did, I'm not sure, but I found it to be helpful as a staff member. <laughs> so I would say it's helpful for students too. So that's the main thing I would tell a faculty member. That's great, that's great. Alex, how about you? Um, somebody came to you and said they wanted to start a program. No program exists at the current moment. Um, what are the key components to the effective virtual experience? That's a great question. Uh, effective key components. For when, when faculty would develop an, an in-person travel abroad program, one of their greatest assets is a reliable, well-seasoned uh, tour operator, travel company that puts together logistics and uh, delivers an experience that goes flawlessly and so on, yep. all things considered. In the virtual environment, uh, while that is also, that element is also important. Uh, from my perspective, the instructional design is critical. And, and that is not to say that it, the instructional design is not critical for in-person. It is critical, but it doesn't always take the central stage. Uh, in the virtual program design, program development, instruction design can and should uh, be the, the central stage uh, element. So to, to a faculty member who is interested, I would start with uh, inquiring as to uh, why, what are the goals, what are the outcomes that you want to have? And then we work our way through as to uh, what do these learning goals have in common with the larger program goals of the curriculum that you have? And uh, what are well, what might be some of the prior experiences, learning experiences that, that the students coming into this learning space may or may not have? And uh, which places in the world and perspectives in the world would make sense from a uh, responsible educator perspective to introduce the students and engage the students with. Um, so, for example, if if, a, if, a, if the students uh, have already had quite a bit of exposure to perspectives from Europe, then why don't we also broaden their horizons and perspectives by bringing in perspectives from from Africa, uh, from Latin America, or Asia, or other parts of the world, um, or or we can zoom in to a particular world region or a country depending again what the, the uh, learning objectives and the course focus may be. Um, so the instructional design, uh, especially one who has the background both from an educa international education and uh, academic preparation could be the faculty member's uh, best resource in that case. Yeah, I can't um, say enough about how important having those people who have those areas of expertise, whether it's the travel um, expertise or knowing how to design effective learning experiences. So I think those are um, those are definitely great examples. And for the virtual experience, there's just no replacing the sequencing and um, the intentionality, right, of, of knowing kind of where you wanna end up and how do you get there um, through intentional learning experiences. Um, I always hard to imagine we're already at the end of our time. So thank you both for um, engaging with me today around this topic. Uh, as I always end every episode, uh, our podcast is called Student Affairs Now. Um, I'd love to hear what you are thinking about, pondering, questioning, um, you know, considering uh, now, at maybe as a result of this conversation or just in general. Um, in your in your work life. Um, so Gabby, I'm going to start with you. Well, I don't know. I mean, I am no longer necessarily affiliated with the study abroad experience anymore, but um, I would love to get back into that. That's definitely one of those functional areas that I have always been interested in. So um, I'm definitely going to be seeking out a personal experience where I can get involved in this again. Um, but I really just love hearing about everything that Alex has said and everything that Glocal Classrooms is doing. It sounds amazing. And I can't wait to see all the cool stuff that you all get to do. Great. Thanks, Gabby. Alex, how about you? Well, Final thank, thoughts. Thank you, Gabby. And uh, at Glocal Classrooms, that's what we do, is we combine uh, expertise in instructional design, program development, global logistics of sourcing and curating and uh, procuring um, 
contributors of content and perspectives from around the world. So what, what I find exciting is the opportunity to work with faculty in this capacity and, uh, and staff members who are thinking about thematic programming for student affairs or honors or uh, lecture series that uh, engage alumni, friends of the institution, community members, and so on, um, is that we can do this collaboratively by deploying these resources and uh, in many ways make the work of the faculty or staff member uh, much, much more easier because we do uh, the bulk of the work, uh, not only from the design part, but also from the uh, logistics and sourcing and hosting uh, the programs together with uh, one of you, for example, um, so that you don't have to take your time out of your uh, teaching and research and working with students every day uh, to think through and, and take care of all these matters. You know, we take that on uh, so that you can continue to focus on doing your work the way that uh, you need to do your work and the way that your students need you to do your work without being burdened by uh, these important elements which uh, global classrooms can take care of. So I thank you for the opportunity yeah. and uh, looking forward to collaborating. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It was great hearing all about um, both of your experiences and for your time and energy and contributions to the conversation. I'm really grateful. Um, also send heartfelt appreciation to our dedicated behind the scenes uh, program assistant, uh, Nat Ambrosi will make us uh, all look and sound great. Make sure she gets all everything published um, on time. Uh, if you are listening today and you're not already receiving our weekly newsletter, please visit our website at studentaffairsnow.com and scroll to the bottom to add your email to our MailChimp list. And while you're there, you can check out our growing archives. Um, if you found today's conversation helpful, you can share it on social media um, and just build our learning, help us build our learning community. Uh, our sponsors for today are Stylus and Vector Solutions. So a little bit more about each of them. Uh, Stylus is proud to be a sponsor for Student Affairs Now podcast. Browse their student affairs, diversity, and professional development titles at styluspub.com. Use the promo code SANOW for 30% off all books plus free shipping. And you can find Stylus on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter at styluspub. Uh, Vector Solutions. How will your institution rise to reach today's socially conscious generation? These students report commitment to safety, well-being, and inclusion as important as academic rigor when selecting a college. It's time to reimagine the work of student affairs as an investment, not as an expense. So for over 20 years, Vector Solutions, which now includes Campus Prevention Network, formerly EverFi, has been the partner of choice for 20, sorry, 2,000 plus colleges, universities, and national organizations. With nine efficacy studies behind our courses, you can trust and have full confidence that you are using the standard of care for student safety, well-being, and inclusion. Transform the future of your institution and community you serve and learn more at vectorsolutions.com slash studentaffairsnow. Please take a moment to visit our website and click on our sponsors link to learn more about these organizations and others. Again, I'm Heather Shea. Thank you to our listeners and to our two guests today and everyone who is watching and listening. Make it count, everyone. Mm -hmm.